What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast, the Doster, T.O., and Fan the Podcast. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined today by my lovely, lovely co-host, the one and only John Fanta, your favorite Big East expert, and Terrence Oglesby, who is an officially confirmed Big East guy these days. That's hashtag Big East guy. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? What's going on? How, 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 was, uh, how was your holidays? Uh, it was great. Wonderful holiday. I went back to Northeast Ohio for... Everyone's favorite, the seasonal Great Lakes Christmas Ale. I uh, had my heart broken in my football fandom life on Christmas Day. Browns were driving, had a shot, couldn't get it done. Uh, but wonderful Christmas. The beef tenderloin was nice and medium rare. And that means it was a happy Christmas for yours truly. That's good. That's good. Uh, I'm pretty sure I gained about six and a half pounds over Christmas because my wife's Swedish and I sent you guys a video and it was a large table of a lot of, a lot of food. And I think of all those six pounds or what have you, about three and a half of those were Swedish meatball. I had three and a half, I had three and a half pounds. Sorry guys. I had three and a half pounds. Of this Swedish this guy, un- unbelievable. Dude, it's my mom. Dude, you guys know this. My mom's <laughs> calling. Unbelievable. If, if it's not muting your mic while you're in the middle of a pod, you have your phone going off, you don't have it on vibrate, unbelievable, this guy. You know, it's a, it's, it's a new year, same old T.O. Unprofessional. Unprofessional. <laughs> not a new year yet. Not a, not a new year yet. It'll be fixed by the new year. We got to get your mom on the show. Your mom's very entertaining. She's a trip. There's, there's no question. And she's single, which I have to hear about all the time. <laughs> so we, so we, like, if there's a date happening, old T.O. gets to hear every detail. And I don't, I don't want it. But that's part, that's part of it right now. That's part of it right now. It's a, it's a mess. Props to you. You dressed up as Santa Claus. Major props to you. Uh, you were Santa. I know that you had to do some explaining to the kids. And your explanation was is that you were on the toilet. Yeah, that's it. You got to get something that they're not able to argue. Like, that's the big thing. Like, it, you say you miss work and somebody else say, like, explosive intestinal issues just so people <laughs> won't ask further questions. But uh, my son got a little uncomfortable. And a lot of people <laughs> find this funny because whenever I dressed up as Santa, I started making moves on his mom. And my son got visibly uncomfortable. And turns around and looks at me, goes, am I, I was like, uh, while I was saying, I was like, what's your, what's your, what's your mom's name? Gosh, she's pretty ho, 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 or something. I said something really corny and he goes, oh, well, my dad's name's Terrence. My dad, my dad, he'll be back. He's coming back. <laughs> He's five years old and got really uncomfortable that Santa was making moves on his mother. Well, he's got your back, man. That's good. I, that's what I said. I was like, hey, man, I appreciate you having my back. He goes, all the time, daddy. That's all he said. So we just kind of moved on. So it was good. It was good. But you got to get creative. 
And that's something I've done ever since the kids have been bored. I've dressed up as Santa and, and shown up either at the front door. I came down from the attic this year because the chimney was broken. So, uh, so you got to come, you got to, you got to come correct if you're going to play it all the way in. But last year, I think they almost figured me out because I was wearing my watch and my ring this year had gloves on the whole nine. So you got to keep it, you got to keep it fresh for the kids. (laughs) Fanta, Fanta, you finally watched Die Hard. I did watch Die Hard. Um, Yippee Kaye. What what a movie. I mean, absolutely fantastic. Bruce Willis is second to none and it is a Christmas movie. It absolutely is a Christmas movie. A plus, long overdue. I could finally talk to Kevin Willard again. There you go. So you now need to go watch. I would say you don't have to watch Die Hard too. That one is just it's a little, it's too corny. They try too hard with some of the jokes. The the plot line is absolutely ludicrous. But you definitely need to go see Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think Die Hard with a Vengeance is the uh, is the best of the the Die Hard. I guess there's what are there five of them now? I think Die Hard with yeah. a Vengeance is the best one. You could do that, or you could just watch any Jason Statham movie, and they're the exact same thing. So you're good there. Why are you hating, T.O.? I'm not hating. I'm just telling you a fact. And if you've seen it, one Jason Statham movie, you've seen them all. Same with a Die Hard. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, that's probably fair. What'd you guys get for Christmas? Anything good? Um. So my girlfriend. Well, the first gift I opened. Hold on, I got in here. There we go. There we go. While he's doing that, I got an office Keurig because my wife has heard me doing some of these late night things and complain about how I'm tired. So she uh, went and got me an office Keurig. So it's sitting right there. So we're good to go. Other than that, I didn't really get much. I didn't want much. I got enough uh, Swedish meatball to satisfy my appetite. So other than that, I'm good. So uh, a couple of the stocking stuffers among the shirts, ties, jackets, pants, underwear, you name it, all the stuff that men get for Christmas. Um, I got a can of Tootsie Rolls. There you go. Some new Versace fragrance. Very good. A 22 that it came in, but I can tell you right now, a very, very nice smell. Uh, But finally, my girlfriend got me something that uh, I didn't know how to react to. Uh, The very first thing I opened is... uh, Anti-friction powder with calamine titled Anti-Monkey Butt. <laughs> so this is when I've taken too many steps in a day and, uh, <laughs> and start to develop what we call the uh, chunky, chunky dunking rash, if you will. So that was, that was the first gift I opened was Anti-Monkey Butt. Merry Christmas. <laughs> good for oh, you quite a humbling experience right off the bat <laughs> yeah. it's like when your wife gets you a nose hair trimmer which happened to me a couple of years ago oh yeah i got one of those kits too yeah yeah, I'm on, I'm, yeah they, they get you stuff that you know they believe that that will be useful to you which is true but i need to open this for christmas as my first christmas gift i also love the size of it <laughs> is that enough monkey butt is, it, is yeah, there... right. I'm sure I'm, it will be. This is, <laughs> this is used during the summer when I've walked too much along the Jersey Shore boardwalk and have had a couple too many drinks. And yeah. then I wake up the next morning and I got a rash that's the color of Barney the dinosaur. Got a little, <laughs> little chaffage going on? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah there right. you go. It's the color of that Clemson background on that jersey right there. There you go. <laughs> What'd you get for Christmas? I got I got a lot of stuff. Um 
like some shirts, some 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 socks, some uh, some different gear here and there. But I, I thought this one was the funniest, right? So my wife got me this this hoodie, right? Which is it's a nice hoodie. Sure. But here's here's the funny part Very about. Nice it. I think she might have stole it. wife's done the same thing so i don't know like i'm just wearing it with the the tag on it that's supposed to be like the anti-shoplifting tag so i don't i don't know what i'm how do you how do you solve this problem you just walk in there and say hey look i promise i didn't shoplift this can you take this off for me yeah that's what i would do i don't know i'm surprised no i'm surprised none of the yukon faithful sent you a sweater that fit yeah i'm I'm waiting i gotta find a way to figure out how to return this they've conveniently made it very difficult to get in touch with anyone. For, so for the people that don't know, I ordered a nice little, like a nice, a real nice, like warm up half zip from, uh, from like the, it's basically the 1995 version of Yukon's warm ups tops. And it's nice. Sure. Probably, yeah. And XL is like the size of what a, a like extra medium normally would be. And I'm a big guy, right? Like it does, it doesn't really fit me. So I got to find a way to get that thing returned. And I don't know how well it's going to go, but you know what else I got for Christmas? A nice stomach bug. This is this is how my Christmas went. On uh, we, were, we were getting ready to go to my my in laws, which we do for Christmas Eve dinner every single year. I'm like, I look forward to this, man. We get the you get the rib roast going, the wines flowing, the whiskey comes out later. You got the pies, you got everything, right? It's a big deal. And we're all dressed up and we're ready to go. And To you've probably experienced something like this before too. And my daughter just kind of out of nowhere while she's walking there with her, with her dress on, suddenly turns into the exorcist. Yeah. Like this, right? So we get it all cleaned up. We're like, well, that was probably just a one-time thing. And we get in the car and literally as we're pulling out of our neighborhood, explodes uh-huh. again. So I end up staying home to uh, to take care of her. And like I set up my, my stomach bug battle station for her. We got like the plastic you lay down on the carpet. You got like the old pillows. You put the pillows in a plastic bag and then put the... Uh, the pillowcase over the plastic bag. Like we got it all figured out. She's sitting there. She's watching frozen. We're good to go. Next day, my wife gets it right on oh. Christmas. Uh, the morning after that, my son gets it oh. yesterday. I picked it up. It ran through the entire house. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun to deal with, but I'm, I'm good now. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great now. Down, down five pounds, the whole line. So yeah. yeah, good to go. Did you lay that? Did you lay the tarp down for your wife to sleep on the floor? How'd that work? No, she, uh, she, she, she would not, uh, she, she, she would not be up for that. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. No. Well, on, this podcast, on, this, on this podcast, we're talking about Santa making ho, ho, ho jokes, anti monkey butt powder and children having horrible fits, uh, via the stomach virus that went all across one family. Merry Christmas and happy holidays, everybody. What else are we going to talk about? What else What's are we going, going to in- talk about? The games that aren't getting played now? I mean, we could. What's going, talk about basketball? What's going on in college hoops? There's a lot new, right? Nothing is going on in college. There's, there's a lot of games that aren't going to be played. So 14, of 14 out of 29 games tonight are canceled. It, it's, I think it's more than that. But like, so without diving too much into that, what I will say is this. I think that right now what Kentucky is doing is handling everything the right way. They are, Cal came out and said this today. They are 100% vaccinated and 100% boosted they are not going to be testing anybody unless they are showing symptoms i think that's the way that you got to do it now that the cdc has lowered the quarantine days from 10 to 5 that like halves the amount of time that you would have to theoretically be shut down for um, a bunch of positive cases so uh i don't know if there's necessarily an easy answer but i do think the best thing that you could be doing 
is probably black. Go back to last summer and make sure all you guys are vaccinated. Go back a couple weeks ago. Make sure all your guys get that booster shot. And then just don't test until there's symptoms. That's the way that the rest of America does it. And I think that's probably the smartest way to handle all of this. But truth be told, guys, I think what most coaches are probably hoping at this point is that Omicron just runs through everybody on their roster over the course of the next two weeks. And so then starting in about mid-January, we can go forward through the rest of the season without um, having to deal with too too many of these cancellations. Because that's probably what it's going to end up being, right? Everyone's got, this thing is just too transmissible. Everyone's going to get it. And, and the one thing that sports has shown us repeatedly over and over and over and over and over again is if you test positive, you are not going to be playing. You're going to be sitting out. Like that's the what we can complain about that all that want. We can do all the hand wringing, but uh, that's the one thing that I think we've learned is if you test positive, you're going to be sitting out. So I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you can do beyond just hoping that this thing runs its course as quickly as possible. What happens if a player just refuses to take the test? Just be like, Hey, no, you're not going to test me. Like, I, I'm curious to know what's going to happen there because like if somebody's fully vaccinated, fully boosted, and they're just like the hell with this, like, I'm not going to do it anymore. I've done everything you've asked. Like what, what, what would be the step then is my question, because I, I think vaccinated or not vaccinated. I think what Calipari doing is the right thing. And I, I think it, we're in a weird spot where people think that they can tell other people what to do with their body. And I'm, I'm saying this guys as a fully vaccinated person who's lined up to go get his booster shot at the end of the week. I also understand the grievance of other people to where it's like, why are you telling me what to do? I understand both sides. And, but you know, it's, it's tough because you know, a lot of this stuff, especially where we are now with Omicron, like guys aren't getting really sick. The data shows that people aren't getting overly sick. We're still having hospitalizations, Sure. But People are recovering. So I think we're in a different situation than we were. Yeah. The one thing I would say to that, T.O., is that um, I, I think I think it's something like 50 to 70 percent with Omicron. You're 50, 50 to 70 percent less likely to be hospitalized than you were yeah. with Delta. I think that that's the the most recent. It's hard to know exactly what it is because it's so early in this, but that's what the most right. recent I've seen say. But the problem is if then people are hearing that and you have everybody kind of disregarding it, and you have three to four times the number of infections that you would have, then all of a sudden you still have the same issue, which is uh, the the medical facilities are just overrun with too many people being sick. So it may be a lower percentage, but the raw numbers are still outlasting the number of beds that are available. And the problem then becomes like, if I if there are no ICU beds available in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and I get in a car accident and I need an ICU bed, then I'm not going to be able to have one. That's the problem. But what I will say is this, my, my, biggest issue with this with all of this is that we are testing and treating these players with a 2020 mindset and 2020 protocols whereas we everybody else is dealing with this as of 2022 protocols on the 2022 mindset so if you're going to tell me that the reason why these players why if you test positive you're sitting out is to limit the spread if you're so concerned about limiting the spread, then how are you dealing with the 10,000 people that are going to be in the stands, right? If your concern is making sure that your community doesn't deal with the spread of Omicron and you don't have to worry about that, then are you ensuring that 
everybody that is in the arena is vaccinated? Are you ensuring that everybody in the arena, all of those fans are wearing their mask for the entire game? Are you, are you checking those things? Are you checking vaccination cards when they come in the door? Are you making sure they aren't fake vaccination cards? Like if you, the, the, the idea that it's trying to limit the spread is just kind of ridiculous to me. If you're going to have those fans in the stands. So at this point, it's, it seems more like it's kind of an optics thing, right? Am I wrong there? It feels like it's an optics thing where they say we can't do it the sensible way because we don't want to look like we're tacitly endorsing the idea of players playing while they're positive. When you are, you have no issue with fans showing up when they may be positive and asymptomatic. Does that make sense? So that's, that's where, I feel like there's an incongruence in the way that all this is happening, which is the most frustrating part to me. If you want to, if you want to get fans out of the, the arena and say the most important thing is shutting down the spread. Okay. I get it. I understand that's what we've been doing for two years. It's something that people are probably going to end up being accustomed to and would adjust to whatever, but don't tell me that the most important thing is limiting the spread and make sure it doesn't go around everywhere. Well, you have 10,000 maskless fans screaming about the players that are not being able to play because they test positive and they're asymptomatic and they're boosted. Does that make sense? Well, it does make sense. And I said that on this very show last week about the you can't justify the amount that you're doing with these players when you're letting in people uh, into your buildings and aren't really checking them on much. Now, some buildings have just changed their policies in the last week with vaccination status and presenting your card and whatnot. Uh, That being said, the definition of vaccinated carries a lot of different meanings, uh, especially now where we have vaccinated individuals that are coming up with this virus. Uh, and even vaccinated boosted individuals coming up with this virus. Here's the fact of the matter. You can't have, you can't not have fans. The reason why is because then you will have the optics play of cutting another 50 employees from your athletic department. Then you will have to deal with cutting another sport from your athletic department. We can't afford to have those types of things happen anymore. A lot of these athletic departments have suffered a ton already to a point that they're having trouble functioning from a day-by-day basis. They need that gate. Yep. They need that gate. They need those finances. Mm-hmm. Until you have to dive into that emergency fund, but you keep diving into the emergency fund. And then if something else goes wrong, then you're really staring at, at the wall. So you can't afford to just deny fans because you need them uh, as much as in a lot of ways right now, sports fans need you. Yes. So, so this, this whole thing Um, there's no question about it here. There is zero uniformity with this. There never was uniformity with it. And outside of college basketball, remove the college basketball, remove the politics, remove anything. We would all agree that from the very start, no matter whose side you're on, because we've had two different administrations, we've had, we've had leadership all over. Never once, never once has this been handled correctly. And that's the fact of the matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And it stinks, but, but there has to become a dynamic of moving forward instead of utilizing policies and rules and uh, guidelines that frankly are in the rear view mirror. Yes. If virus has changed, we have to change with it. Yes, the idea is that this is not going to be something that totally derails the season. But like you said, Rob, I hope with you that that by MLK Day, 
that we could start to see the patterns that we were seeing in the first two months of the season, which was quite a bit of normalcy. So hopefully we can get back to that because going back to college basketball now, the schedule was not made with an ideology that there was going to have to be major rescheduling and major date changing. These conferences are canceling the games and the language is specific there. Postponed is when the game will be rescheduled. Canceled means the game is off. It will be rescheduled if, if there's an opportunity to reschedule and it will be rescheduled by the conference. A lot of times last year, these teams were just picking up and busting in and playing each other when they could. The schedule's not made for that this time around, and it's too late to actually change as much as you'd like to change with it. So here's to hoping that it gets changed in the next two weeks because, look, Kentucky did handle it correctly. Uh, A lot of programs have handled it correctly. Uh, But, you know, look, this goes way, way, way beyond college basketball, and college basketball ain't going to be the first foot to change, nor are these universities with presidents who value the optics of you know, stopping the spread and preserving everything when times have changed so much with this virus and you're talking about the healthiest individuals on the planet who are at peak athletic performance. Yep. So there's so much that's backwards uh, in our world right now and so many things that you justify one thing, but then you say you have to stop another. My head is spinning thinking about the whole thing. Yeah. You know what else is good on Calipari? Good on Calipari. We talk about like it needs to be one figurehead. It needs to be one big time guy to make that next step. And good on him. Like it needed to happen. Everybody knew it needed to happen. Something needed to progress. I feel like we've like the past couple of months, everybody's changing the rules back to the way they were. Like something needed to progress. And good on the ACC for changing a little bit. Good on the CDC for changing. But it took that next guy to really be like, you know what? This is what we're going to do. It's the bottom line. I'll take the brunt of the criticism if it's going to be. And it needed to be somebody like Calipari who has a lifetime contract who really, if somebody disagrees, okay, you can disagree, but nothing's going to happen with my stuff. Nothing's going to happen with my job. I'm still good. So good on him for, for doing that. And we've been critical of Cal, but my God, God bless John Calipari. Like, he, he did the right thing. Well, and he's saying what every coach is thinking. He's saying what – but it needed to be said by a coach, not by Mark Emmert. You know, yes. here, here's the thing. Rest in peace, Mark Emmert, wherever the hell he's at. Well, everybody that's pleading for Mark Emmert to say something, that's not how the NCAA has ever worked, nor is go, ever going to work. That's true. And, and that's why some of these schools, that's why these power conferences say they, they consider a break-off, to just run it themselves. Um, but look, they already run the, the playoff themselves, college football playoff, and that seems to be going just fine, even though people clamor about more teams. If you're clamoring about more teams, it means that people like it. Mm-hmm. In college basketball, there's no centralized leadership, um, and there never was going to be on this matter. And that's my biggest issue here is we do turn the page to January because you have certain schools, they're knocked out for the next 12 days not playing a game we're starting to see games canceled on january 4th whereas the cdc comes out and says five days yeah so it needs to come from coach cal it needs to come from the people at the forefront of the sport i hope coach k gets asked about it and makes an explanation not saying he'll give the one that coach cal gave but this has to be this has to come from those coaches it has to come from the guardians of the game because 
I remember talking with Jay Wright a couple weeks ago, and Jay Wright told me that he and Scott Drew, Scott Drew at Baylor, they knew of each other well. They were friendly. They became really close friends when the pandemic really peaked, and they were trying to figure out how are we going to have a season. And they they presented things that made last season happen, guys. Th- those coaches, Jay Wright, Scott Drew, behind closed doors, they were having meetings. They're not from the same league. They're not even, you know, the Duke or Kansas or Kentucky coaches, but they're da- they've, they've accounted for three of the last five national championships. They met, they talked, they made things happen. We need those leadership forces, those guys that do have voices, to speak up here in the next 72 hours. The cancellations are only going to continue. But, you know, this streamline with half the game canceled today, it's only going to continue here over the next two weeks. We got to have people step up and say, hey, this is what has to happen. And we got to figure out a way to make this work because you can't treat this like last year. You're not treating it like last year with the fans. You can't treat it like last year with the players. Right. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, I just want to do, I just do want to say one thing about Emmer and, and maybe it's not even just him, but the leadership within the NCAA, like it's, it is so frustrating that there's no centralized policy for how to handle all of this. And I know it's difficult because it's kind of the conference by conference decision and um, the Ivy league is always going to end up doing different things, different than the SEC, for example. Right. But the idea that the last time, well, it's been very evident for like the last month that we're going to end up getting to a place where uh, this is very, very problematic for the sport, right? Like anybody that has been paying any kind of attention can see this coming to the point where, like you said, T.O., like 14 of the 20 games that are being played tonight are uh, are, are canceled. Um, the last thing that we've heard from Mark Emmert was him telling everybody on December 8th how being the, uh, the, the president of a school um, is the most difficult job in America, right? Like that, that is the last thing that we heard from him. Now he's just a figurehead position, right? And kind of half of the reason that he exists is for people to use him as a battering ram and make fun of him. We haven't heard anything from uh, Dan Gavin either. When was the last time he said something about finding a way to formulate this? And look again, so much of what they do just centers around the NCAA tournament. We learned this, but it would still be nice if it felt like somebody was out there trying to find a way to, to make this, this sport happened instead of just saying, Hey, you know what? We're going to throw shit against the wall and hopefully it works out. Hopefully by uh, the middle of January, we're actually playing games again. It just makes the sport seem like a fucking sham. Like that, that's to me, that's the the most frustrating part about this is it does not feel like there is any leadership making the decisions that you need to make ACC. They were on top. Of it. They, they've kind of adjusted their protocols based on what the CDC said. How come Mark, Mark Emmer or Dan Gavitt or whoever runs college basketball isn't out there saying, we think the, recommendations made out by the CDC. This is what we would recommend for the protocols, right? That's what they should be doing. They can't implement it, but they can say, based off of what we've heard from these organizations and based off of what our doctors are telling us, blah, 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 this, that, and the third, this is what we recommend as the NCAA. You can do that. You can come out and say something like that, right? You can, you're, But they're just, what is he getting paid for? <laughs> Seriously, like what is Mark Amber? He makes a couple million dollars a year. What is he getting paid for if right now, Right now, through all of this, we have bowl games. The, the two sports that matter to the NCAA more than anything else are college football and men's basketball, right? Women's basketball to a degree, and, and, and some of these other these other uh, Olympic sports, they're, they're relevant enough that they matter. But the, the, the main two money grabs are college football 
and men's basketball. And all of this stuff is getting canceled this month. We have bowl games that are just disappearing and going away, right? And like, I don't give a fuck about bowl games. I think the whole concept of bowl games is is dumb and 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 outdated and like whatever. But the fact that all of this stuff is happening right now, it's like they went on, they, they took their vacation, right? They were like, ah, you know what? We're done for the the end of the year. We'll be back. Um, we'll, we'll be back in uh, in January, right? It felt like they've done that for since since like December fifteenth, and and. The idea that those two sports are crumbling right now and having all of these issues and the leadership is not saying anything about it. What are you getting paid for? What, like, why, why do you exist? Why do you get that salary? Why how, explain to me how that's not a waste of money that we're spending on Mark Emmert being any kind of, uh, in any kind of a position. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people want to want to go ahead and target the person, like you said, the punching bag, but, but so much of this is systematic. Uh, so much of this is systematic. I mean, if you if you change who's in that chair, I don't think you're going to see that drastic of a shift in in the messaging. I don't think you're going to. You know, I think we're 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 sometimes blaming the person, um, and I'm not saying that that person shouldn't shouldn't get a degree of blame, but like if Mark Emmert's not saying anything, Dan Gabbitt's not going to be issuing a statement of any sort. Uh, and if you talk to the coaches in college basketball, they'll say Dan Gabbitt is the reason w- why college basketball is good from an NCAA standpoint. You know, they, they praise Dan Gabbitt and say our sport wouldn't be what it is without Danny. The fact is um, they get paid. You asked why they, what they get paid for. I mean, I, I see it at the end of the day, when the ACC puts out their policy, when the Americans now holding held their votes about their forfeiture policy, you know, why did the American meet they the American last week rules that their forfeit policy is going to stay the same. Right. Right. We had this show. We were talking about it. Mm-hmm. They meet yesterday. They determined the policy is changing. Well, why did they do that? Houston has COVID issues. So Houston's athletic director with some backing from his president says, hey, 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 hey. you know, we're going to win the league. We can't be forfeited eight American athletic conference games. Whoa, 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 whoa. Come on. Now Houston's got other things going on, but we got to meet again. We got to meet again. This is, this is rooting the integrity of our league. We got to meet again. They call a meeting. You know, the, the schools exiting the American aren't going to have a voice. East Carolina. I'm sorry, pirates. You're not going to have a voice in this meeting. Houston says, Hey, you know, we're, you don't want to destroy the integrity of the league, the value of an NCAA tournament bid, you know, units. We, we got to revisit this forfeiture policy. It's got to change. The schools drive the bus. All these school presidents drive the bus. Now, well, I mean, that's that's the thing about it is that the NCAA, it's it's the same thing as as blaming um, like Roger Goodell for things wrong with the NFL when really he's just a figurehead position, and it's the people that own the NFL franchises that that vote and make all of these decisions, right? Right. But what is the point of having that position if? In, the, in, in, in some of the biggest crises, like how is this not one of the biggest crises that the sport has, has ever faced? There, we're looking at a, a, a month-long period where like games aren't going to be played. That's this not is, this is a massive that. crisis in the sport, and the two biggest names in the sport are not even, not providing any kind of direction. And look, I get it. The whole point of having the NCAA, the two things that they're there for, is to ensure that players are eligible and to put on tournaments. That's it. That is the whole point that these people exist. But you, you you would think that 
being able to make sure that games are played is essential to being able to put on the tournament. It is essential to having people on the floor and getting these games watched. Like it just, I don't understand how, how you could have two guys that are so powerful and so influential in the sport, not say anything as everything is crumbling, right? Nothing, nothing. Where are they? What are they doing? end up there still might be something said but it has to go through 12 different platforms before it gets said and go through lines of approval again in a lot of respects the systems are operating in the 1970s and 80s and it's not that anymore you know we're in a time where things are changing minute by minute hour by hour i also think we've become numb in a lot of respects the last two years now when crap hits the fan we don't view it as a crisis we just view it as it's covid I mean, that's how, that's how this goes. I was talking with somebody last night who said, well, you know, it's, we just forge on because that's what we're doing. And we've been like someone at a conference level said that to me, we just forge on. You hope that we could just continue to go. And you know, the road to March, as long as our conference tournament NCAA tournament gets held, it gets held. That's what, that's all they're looking at right now. If it means taking the first two weeks of January, it is what it is. That's how people, that's how these people are looking at it. I'm not saying that that's the way to look at it. But I'm, but I'm saying that that's as long as March gets preserved. One March, one March, that was bad. That was a crisis. This is not being viewed as a crisis. No way, it's not. Do you feel that way, Tio? Do you feel that people are looking at this as a crisis? I don't think it's being viewed as a crisis as much as it's being viewed as well. It's late December. The virus is surging. Omicron is supposed to be quick. We'll get through it. I think people just look at it as laughable that we haven't figured it out yet. That's it. I, I don't have much, guys, I don't have much, I don't have much more to say. Like, like we, it is what it is. It's people aren't getting as sick, especially the people that are playing. Uh, I, I wish games could keep going. There was a game that was supposed to be happening tonight. That was going to be a really good one. And I'm just disappointed. You kind of, and it, it's Xavier, right? Yeah, not Xavier. Not, somebody, somebody called me out on that. Yeah, you to be called out for it. Yeah, I should have been. Called, I, I'm a I'm a huge Big East guy, and I couldn't even pronounce now, the name. You know, Wes Miller did that for a whole week. He did that on purpose. He did <laughs> the game, and and so people made sure when he lost that instead of zero and one, there was an egg. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, sorry for mispronouncing Xavier, but uh, I don't have much more to say, guys. Like it sucks. You guys know it. I know it. It's an antiquated policy. Good on Cal. That's all I'm going to say. I, I, I said it in our last. I said it in our last pod. Like Amazon doesn't shut down a factory because one person feels sick. Right. Keep going. Look. Uh, uh, the, the healthcare system. Yep. Hey. No, I mean, you're not. You know look, you're not. You're not wrong. And I think we all agree. And I think most most people agree that there has to be a change to the protocols. And I, I think we could put a bow on it like this. It's frustrating that everyone can say, yeah, you know what? We probably need to change the way, change the way a lot of this is handled. And the, the people that are speaking out the most about it or the, the people that are actually making the changes are like coaches in leagues, as opposed to the top of the NCAA ladder. And that's, that's what gets me the most, right? Like there's somebody from the top of the ladder has to say, okay, look, we need to find a way to make this work as opposed to just sitting there complaining about the fact that being a school administrator is such a difficult job. That remind do you guys, do you guys listen to Bill Burr? He's got, yeah, you know who yeah. he is, the comedian. Yeah, I do. I do. When he I talks do. about it, it's so I difficult do. to be a mother. 
Yeah, yeah, and he's like, yeah, it, careful, it, careful. Not, the, but the, like, so it's a joke. But he's like, yeah, try, try being a, a a redhead roofing in the middle of July. Like that's a difficult job, right? Being a school administrator is not a difficult job. You paid seven figures to make a couple decisions and not be around when the sport that you're supposed to be running is collapsing around you. So hey guys, enough COVID talk. I'm sorry, guys. I'm yeah. sorry. We no, we gotta, we gotta move on. We gotta move on. So the let's... love of God, something else. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> like hey, fucking hey, unbelievable. What? Like I'm so sick what? of the world. Hey, we don't have to... Fuck. Okay, we don't have to... <laughs> one thing, one main thing. Just for the record, T.O. dropped an F-bomb there. I think there were two of them. He dropped two. He dropped two. two. My final thought on this Mama is this. Mama Oglesby is not going to be happy about that one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> This goes way. This goes way beyond college basketball. Way beyond college basketball. In any stage in working America, in living America, many times the people who are meeting on said policies that need to change aren't the people that are dealing with the reasons why said policies need to change. The people in the weeds understand the day to day, hour to hour. What needs to happen? And that's the story of, of working America is that odds are the people that are meeting on it actually don't understand what the application of this policy is. And that's, that's the root of the problem is that that trainer who's treating these kids every day right now is overwhelmed with taking a phone call here. And what can I do? What am I allowed to do? You know, telling a student athlete, you can walk outside or you can, you could do this. Uh, They have case to case, person to person. Again, there's if and, and the other thing is this, if name, image and likeness was 20, 25 years overdue, what's for you to think that there's going to be a reaction on the dot that something's going to change with COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the that's that's the, the heart and soul of it right there is that the, things just don't the NCAA is so slow to change. It should not be surprising to me. But hey, oh, this goes back to all the things we've been talking about with the system, with the system being outdated and now it takes a national emergency to really rise that or raise that point really raise that point here in this moment yep all right so uh the last thing that we're going to talk about on this show is uh it's it's the end of uh it's the end of 2021 guys the next time that we all get together <laughs> we use up 50 minutes on covid what a fantastic pop sorry <laughs> go ahead no it's it's um in all seriousness like 2021 has felt like it was uh longer than 2020 and 2020 felt like an entire decade so uh, i want to go back and just relive there were some great moments from from 2021 and i asked both of you to put together your five most memorable moments from college basketball uh, in the 2021 calendar year not the season the 2021 calendar year uh, we're going to kind of roll through my what's the best way to do this i think what we do is we just each kind of go through our, our top five moments and if like Fanta brings one up that happens to be on my list, then I can kind of address that as well, kind of a thing, right? So do you, you think that's? I think that's probably just the easiest way to do it, right? Yep. Yep. Yes. All right. I agree. Who wants to go first? Go ahead, Fanta. All right, here we go. Number one. Go five. Four. Start at five. Start at five. Start at five. Go five to one. Oh. All right. Number five. <laughs> Number five is. Being in Milwaukee, second week of the season, of this season, this college basketball season, was the first time I was in a building with that was full, totally full. So, again, this is personal bias. This is, this is your top five moments. 
this was a moment for me that that gave me goosebumps and chills and reminded me of why I cover this sport. You've got Illinois uh, taking on Marquette. Illinois is a team that at the time didn't have Kofi Cokeburn. Uh, look, Andre Curbelo was struggling, but they come into this building and they're expected to win. I think they're an eight-point favorite, if not nine-point favorite. Shaka Smart, this is the first time I'm watching him coach a game in person. I had not watched him coach a game in person before. He takes over this job at Marquette. What a game this was. If you remember it, second week of the season, absolutely phenomenal back and forth. Tyler Kolick steals the ball from Curbelo around half court and lays it in. And I, I could not hear, could not hear. And the ending of that game, rarely do you see a game end with someone trying to foul, but steal the ball, no interruptions. He takes the ball all the way to the other end of the court. He gets fouled. He hits the free throw. Illinois can't score on the other end. Place is going bonkers nuts. That's number five for me. Number four, Ethan Thompson and Oregon State's improbable run to the Elite Eight. Tinkle Magic was incredible. This is part of the Pac-12's improbable NCAA tournament run. I could not believe Oregon State. They make the run to, again, if they don't win the Pac-12 championship, they're not in the tournament. They win the Pac-12 title. They make the tournament. They face Tennessee. They beat the doors off Tennessee. And then they just keep rolling. And it's the magic of the tournament. Not always best, but more so hottest, especially in the first weekend. Credit to Tinkle Magic. I don't know if that'll ever happen again in Corvallis. (laughs) Not this year. They're they're 3-10 and right now. Right. (laughs) Only in this sport could a team make the Elite Eight and in the next year be 3-10. and ten. That is <laughs> unbelievable. All right, that's number four. Number three, Oral Roberts and what they did to Ohio State and Florida. Mm-hmm. In the Florida game, they're down in that game for a good portion of the game, and then they just make their run. They make their run. Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner, thank you. Thank you for being and a duo that was must, must see TV and must see basketball. You pull off two mammoth upsets, two giant slang wins. I, I, I have nothing but great things to say about Oral Roberts, who I had really rarely ever heard of before the NCAA tournament. And quickly we found out that, that being a 15th, you seem to be surprised at that, Rob. Well, no, I just if you, that, that you've never heard of Oral Roberts because if you've ever seen the movie Club Dread, it's the the line Oral Roberts. Is that anything like an Anil Johnson? You guys know you don't you yeah. don't know what I'm talking about. Nope, <laughs> never seen that movie. No, no, the only the only the only Oral I know wasn't Oral. Well, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. You guys don't even get my five. You don't even get my five favorite things right there. Number two. That's why. That's why he got his monkey butt right there. (laughs) Number two, Abilene Christian. Um, Mm. As watched the whole game, as shocked as I've ever been by an NCAA tournament result. I thought Texas probably could have won the game ten different ways. Right? You guys remember this game, Texas. Texas was up by like two or three, five different times in the last five minutes, one shot away from putting the game away. They didn't. For Abilene Christian, remember the scene on their campus that night? I mean, that's the great, it was the greatest moment athletically in their school's history. 
So ACU, you get some love for me with number two. And number one, it's the field of 68. It's a moment that, that will always stand in my mind as a reason why I love covering the sport. Sometimes when you get assigned something, it doesn't always end up turn out that way. You know, like you get assigned a game or you get assigned a show and, you know, people think the night will go one way. Well, guess what? I was getting ready for Field of 68 after dark a couple weeks back. And I'm watching Duke winning by double digits. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this will be a pretty basic after dark show. We'll talk about what makes Duke great. We'll talk about the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Well, Ohio State had other plans. And only on that night could after dark be altered so much. I'm watching the end of Ohio State Duke with Sean and Archie Miller live on this platform. And then I get to drink a Miller Lite to close out that show. That, for me, friends, is the number one moment in college basketball from this year because it it made me think again, damn, I get to cover this sport for a living. That's pretty fun. Uh, My top five is a little different because I don't necessarily remember in like exact things like you do, Fanta. I remember how things make me feel. So so the emergence of Alabama is number five for me. I don't know if you guys know this, but January 2nd, the beginning of this year, Alabama wasn't ranked. And then you see Nate Oates and company just explode onto the scene. A lot of people picking them to enter the final four. They were a two seed in the NCAA tournament. They weren't ranked January 2nd. And now they've carried that momentum from last year over to this year. Watching them handle that has been awesome. And they have hold, they have staying power because one, the SEC spearheaded by Alabama is spending a lot of money to make sure that it stays there. I think that's one thing. Uh, number four, uh, this is a little bit more on the, I, I don't know, side. When Texas and Oklahoma decide to move the SEC. To me, it's like, hey, Texas, we're going to be mediocre in the Big 12. We're going to bring our mediocrity over to the SEC, and we're going to be just the same. But we're going to get paid a little bit more by the SEC network, and we're going to get to keep the Longhorn network. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't make whatever. I'm going to move on. Uh, watching Baylor's team compete last year. Uh, their team is very good this year. But I feel like... The combination of Mitchell, the combination of Jared Butler, all the talent they had, how hard they played, Scott Drew and the culture of, what is it, the culture of joy. Culture uh, of joy. That, that has been fantastic to watch. It's been a lot of fun. And I think that guard tandem is one of the best in college basketball history. And if they don't go into pause, they go undefeated. They were that good, that athletic, and they were that competitive. And Mark Vidal brings a lot of that competitive juice there. Uh, number two, I was at that Auburn-UConn game where it went into like two or three overtimes. I can't remember. One of the best games I've ever seen. One of the most exciting games I've ever seen. I was cheering for both teams. I didn't know how I could do that, but it was unbelievable. I was formally introduced to Hurley and UConn and their intensity and their guard play and R.J. Cole and Adama Sanogo and all those guys and how fun and tough that team is. And I was introduced to K.D. Johnson. I know Jabari Smith's getting a lot of the credit, and he should, rightfully so. Could be a number one pick in the draft. Who knows? But I was introduced to the intensity and the passion that Auburn brings with their fan base over. And number one for me, I got a call from you guys right around May, Doster, you and and Goodman. And I'll give you a little background as to how this kind of occurred. So over the past two years, my father passed away in August 2019. And I got out of coaching that December because I couldn't handle a lot of things. There was a lot of things being thrown at me. I was having to take care of several different things revolving or, or, or revolving around my father's uh, death. 
And I wanted to stay around the game. And I just started, I, I picked up a pen and I just started writing. Well, figuratively speaking, I started typing, right? So I pick up a couple of things. I start writing for this local syndicate, TigerNet. Then I move that into the next year. I do a couple of podcasts kind of on my own, move that into the next year. I do my own show from a studio just to make sure that I get some reps just in case I get a chance. So who knows? So I do that show the whole time with a young man named Fax and Childress at a studio outside of Greenville. And it fired me up and I enjoyed the heck out of it. We were getting three, 4,000 people or views a week on Facebook. I was able to pick up some Furman games, some Clemson games. That was all fun and good. Come, I think it was May. I can't remember when Goodman tweeted this out. Goodman tweeted out, hey, the next guys that everybody needs to pay attention to, I need recommendations. I was like, well, I just hit the like button because I didn't want to, I'm from Tennessee. I'm not just going to be like, hey guys, look at me, look at me. So I kind of finagled this a little bit. You guys, I haven't told you this story. I haven't told you this story. I text one of my best friends in the, in the basketball business. The guy's name is David Bentley. And his name's Basketball Bentley. He's one of the most, one of the highest quality people in basketball. He's a good person. Good person. I text him. I was like, hey, man, I need a favor. He's like, what, whatever you need. What do you need? I was like, I need you to take, I, I sent him the tweet. And I said, I need you to text Goodman and tell him that I'm in it. And sure enough, he texts Goodman. Ten minutes later, Goodman calls me, doesn't text me, calls me, asks me what I'm doing. And I was like, well, I'm really trying to get into this media thing. And I've enjoyed, I do games. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. I feel like I, 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 I bring a personality to it that's a little different than what some people think because, A, I'm from Tennessee. I understand there's, there's some weird things about Tennessee. But I also enjoy it so much, and I enjoy being around the game. And I think uh, the more I get to be around people, and I enjoy people. I don't necessarily enjoy the monotony of going to practice every day, but I enjoy people. And my appreciation for you guys, you two in particular, and obviously Jeff. Uh, we don't we don't say nice things about Jeff on this podcast. Yeah, I know, but I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to right now. I'm going to right now. And Jeff I'm not, tried to fire my ass last week. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to right now because, uh, and I might get emotional. I don't mean to, but uh, to be able to do this. And to be able to have so much fun doing this with you guys has um, shifted the way that I approach everything. And, uh, you know, I was kind of scratching and clawing and it's by no, it, it's by no means uh, an end to everything because I, I enjoyed doing this stuff with you guys so much. And after the death of my father, I was trying to find a way and being able to move in the direction that it's been going and to be able to do this show with you, uh, to and to do the after dark with Jeff and to do the opening all it, it's 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 amazing to me and uh, I'm, I may or may not be tearing up I hope it's a little blurry on the camera but I but uh, I, I just my appreciation for both of you guys my appreciation for Jeff to reach out to me and give me a chance to be on the show uh, it means a lot especially in the aftermath of probably the most influential person so thank you guys it's getting a little dusty in here. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> well, look, hit, first and hit, foremost, we need to hit, hit Fanta's uh, oral uh, comment. <laughs> Let's on, on run that one back. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry about that for getting oh, a little yeah. emotional, but uh, I appreciate yeah, you guys so much. I, I I very much appreciate those words, and uh, and you're you're gonna you're you're good at this. You're gonna be in this for a while. I can tell you. Do there's a lot of people in this business that don't do their homework, and you. Uh, at the very least, we can say that you do um, your homework. All right. So my five most memorable moments. Number five for me was this year's Champions Classic. It was the 
first live sporting event that I went to uh, in more than 20, I think it was 22 months in total. The first one that I went to since everything was shut down in March, 2020, which was um, it wasn't the best basketball and it wasn't the most crowded that we've ever seen that arena, but it was loud. It was intense. It was fun. It was, uh, it was everything that, that I come to expect out of the champions classic. And it was a nice little return to normalcy, even, even if it was a blip on the, on the calendar um, at that point. Uh, number four for me was um, this might, this might sound kind of silly, but it was when UConn lost to Creighton in the semifinals of the big East tournament. Um, it was uh, UConn jumped up to like a 13 to two lead. And then RJ Cole got a concussion with like five minutes left. And they kind of uh, gave, ended up giving that game away in, in a little bit of a frustrating fashion. And that one, that was like a gutting loss for me. For people that don't know, I grew up a, a diehard UConn fan. Um, that who, uh, who, does, who doesn't know that? Dawson? I don't know. I think everyone probably knows. But I grew up a diehard UConn fan. It kind of fell. I don't want to say like fell out of love with the program, but like there was a a five year stretch where I mean it was awful basketball. They were playing like East Carolina and South Florida and Tulsa and teams I didn't give a damn about, and it was. I, I didn't even watch the games. Like I didn't, I didn't care about it. I didn't pay attention to it. It was uh, something where I think a lot of UConn fans would agree. Like it was just, it's like, what, what's, what are we doing here? What is the point of all of this for a football program? That is the worst fo- football program um, in, in division one. And then they came back to the big East. They make that run. They have a good team. And it was just like, it's, I, I mean, you guys Fancy, you've dealt with this enough with the Browns. Like, Tio, I don't know who your favorite teams are, but when you're when you're so into it and you just get that crushing loss, it was uh, it was nice to actually care enough about something to have it ruin my weekend. You know what I mean? So having having that that level, because I mean, look, for the last twenty two months have been it's the, the last few years have been a grind on everybody, and being able to have something that you can fully invest in. Like, I, I'm got, I've gotten back to the point. I was telling some, someone this the other day. I've gotten back to the point where like a UConn game ends and I'm immediately looking forward to that next game. Like, all right, when's the next time I'm going to be able to spend two hours pretending I'm a 15 year old losing my mind watching this team play. And it's nice to be able to have that, have something that you care about. And it was that loss, that just absolute gut punch. uh, That kind of was the first time that I really was like, Oh, well, you know what? I think I actually give a fuck about these guys again. So that was, uh, that was nice. Number three for me was Roy Williams out of nowhere on April Fool's Day, announcing that he was going to retire. And the reason that I remember it so clearly is that um, it was one of those things where it's like, there's no way this is real. Like, this is such a dumb April Fool's joke. And then as it kind of progressed, it was like, oh, no, you know what? Roy Williams, like, is actually out of nowhere announcing his retirement on April Fool's Day. Like, that's one of the, what, three biggest jobs in America, if not the biggest job in America in college basketball. Uh, It was a Hall of Famer retiring out of nowhere. That was, it was just, it was so shocking and so surprising. And so like, is this, there's no way this is really happening. Is this really happening? Um, So that was uh, the number three, most memorable moment for me. Number two was um, it was all of the, the mirror, like the, I felt like the 2021 NCAA tournament had so many miracle runs, whether it was uh, you mentioned Oregon state Fanta, you mentioned Oral Roberts, you mentioned Abilene Christian. The the one that sticks out to me the most was, um, after the Abilene Christian win over Texas, that one random walk-on that probably hadn't played a single game the entire season, running directly to the camera and doing the double horns down straight into the camera. That I just, <laughs> how do you, how do you not love the, I, I love walk-ons that do crazy stuff like that. So uh, 
So yeah, that was that was the one that really that's what made college basketball great. The yeah, investment yes. of the kid that's not on the floor is is awesome. Yeah. So that that was the one that sticks out to me. And then for me, number one was uh it, it was the final four in general, but mostly like the, the thing that sticks out the most was um obviously Jalen Sugg's shot and that, that Gonzaga UCLA game, which I think will go down as one of, if not the best college basketball games that I've ever seen. And it wasn't just one of these things where you had a crazy ending, right? Like the level of shot making, the level of play, going to overtime, ending on a 40-foot game-winning three. And the thing I also remember about that, Fanta, is that like as soon as that shot goes in, me, you, and Deshaun Butler immediately jumping on live um, and streaming that. And it was just kind of that right there. And seeing the interaction and the attention that that got when we jumped on immediately after is the reason why we're going all in on this after dark show. And like that after dark show is going to be, it's the linchpin of what the field of 68 is at this point. And uh, it's, I think it's the biggest place for us to grow. And if it wasn't for that shot and jumping on that show and having that reaction, then, and that interaction with the fans, with the people that watch this, I don't think we would have done uh like after dark wouldn't exist field of 68 after dark wouldn't exist and and i don't know what the this network would be at this point but um that was the the unquestionably the the most memorable thing from the last calendar year for me which is uh probably like the most obvious one i think anybody could have picked right Uh, absolutely i mean that that was one of the all-time shots in the history of the ncaa tournament it was jalen suggs who really took the the zags by storm and took us all by storm with just just his amazing playmaking his creativity he was such a fascinating watch and for the zags incredible you felt like that was the only thing that could break up ucla a miraculous magical march madness shot because it just felt like ucla wasn't going to lose and that's what it took incredible game incredible shots and what this sport is all about. And a reminder to all of us watching from home. Um, I believe that that was the night before Easter Sunday. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was, Holy, it was Holy Saturday night. The majority of the audience obviously watching from their homes. A reminder of the sports beauty. And the sports, you know, just the greatness of college basketball. The greatness of, of that weekend is so special. Final Four weekend. There's nothing like that doubleheader in sports. Nothing. Like championship Monday's fun. It's not final four Saturday. It's not final four Saturday. That was spectacular. And that I actually removed that moment from my top five, assuming that that moment stands in its own class. And it truly does. It does. Well, listen, this has been fun. Uh, Happy new year to everybody listening. I hope everybody had a great holiday. One that involved a lot less of a, a stomach bug, um, than my did. So for Fanta Claus and for, uh, for Santa T over here, we got to find a more more clever Chris uh, T O Kringle, maybe. I don't know. I don't. Know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Workshop that one. <laughs> but we we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys hanging out. We appreciate everybody that tunes into the show uh, week after week. It's it's a lot of fun to do. So um, yeah, on to next year. On to twenty twenty two. See you. Campaign, baby.